Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, 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 and welcome to Believe. That's B L E A P in Lions, right here on the Believe Podcast Network. And as always, I am your host at Javanaugh87, Jack Kavanaugh. And I am joined once again by one of the most dominant nose tackles to ever play the game of football. One of the first interior defensive linemen to really play sideline to sideline. A man that was so bad that it took three people to block him oftentimes. And rarely was that enough. 32 and a half career sacks, four MVP turkeys, three Pro Bowls, two outlet nominations, one All-Pro, and a partridge in a pear tree. It's Jerry Reckon Ball. How's it going, Jerry? Hey, happy holidays. Going great, Jack. How are you? I appreciate it again. You know, I, I keep telling you, you make me feel like I'm a heavyweight champion of the world, and I'm coming out for a ball. Way Florida, you know? <laughs> I'd like to see that fight. That'd be a entertaining one to watch. Yeah, well, I would probably go for that whole bully tactic with him. He's such a small guy. If I could cut off the ring and get him in the corner, I might be able to pin him. You know, <laughs> sign me up. I'll I'll be uh, I'll I'll be ringside for you. I'll uh, be there be there coaching you up. I'll d- dab the uh, the water on your face, the ice. What you saying after he knocked me out, you gonna dab the water? No, 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 no. Just uh, when you need a little refresher after after giving it to him for the first round. Hey, well, I don't know. The first round might be all I have. You know, those three minute rounds in boxing could be like a seventy play drive. Now. <laughs> <laughs> well, wherever you do want to place your boxing bets, I don't know if it's gonna be Jerry Ball versus Floyd Mayweather anytime soon, but. If you want to bet on boxing, if you want to bet on football, basketball, bet online is your number one spot this entire season. So head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. And this game started, it was competitive. It was entertaining, but it was another loss on the at the hands of a field goal. And it's just it's heartbreaking, Jerry. It, it's truly heartbreaking. What how is Jerry Ball feeling? I know he had that big Thanksgiving spread cooked up. Yeah. Ready to sit down all excited with the family. And then yeah. and then it happened. The shoe <laughs> failed. <laughs> Man, I tell you, Jack, you know, it's, um, you know, this season, you know, for it being one where they've played so many close games and stuff, you know how one or two plays can truly be the difference in a win and a loss. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I just feel for the players and the coaches and hope that they can, you know, maintain a, a level of mental toughness because, you know, to walk around, you know, where you your best effort has only led to a tie, no wins, you know, and the, the, the back in the day when they had ABC Sports and they had the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. I don't know if you remember that. I do, I do. And it's a lot so, of agony, agony up in here. Agony of defeat. That's that's been the only thing that they've tasted so far. So I really feel bad for the players because you know what you also have to recognize is that players don't just show up. You know, they're continuously working on their skills, getting in shape in the off season, and then you hope to come together. You know, when those all season training you know programs come together to start giving yourself a a edge where you can come together as a team and for them to go through the process with a new coach and all that you know they've had their trials and stuff but at the same time you know it's still disappointing to be at this stage and saying that the Lions haven't won a game it's really disappointing and we almost had a little false sense of hope early in the game because the offense started so hot. Josh Reynolds, he looked like he could be the wide receiver one we've been waiting for. The first three passes, they're all to Swift. It's a little 15-yard comeback to Josh Reynolds. And then, oh, chef's kiss. The PS de resistance. Josh Reynolds absolutely cooks the DB on a double move. Jared Goff stands strong in the face of pressure. Just all the elements of a big play, 39-yard touchdown. I'm thinking this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. And I was wrong. That was the best drive of the entire game. Yeah, with the new guy. <laughs> so so when you start understanding that your quarterback had the best outcome with a guy that's only been there a matter of days, you know, and he responds a positive for sure it also says a lot about Reynolds you know being a professional getting in there learning the system well enough where they could use him and get him on the field so that is something I'm sure they probably cut it down into about a quarter for based on the game plan and say hey we want you to do these specific things but for the most part it, it is a plus that they were able to get him on the squad and he was able to show and prove that you know it was worth the move And I almost wish they went to him more because only five targets and he caught three of them and two of those targets were on the first drive. And Jared Goff after that, just he dinks, he dunks and he completes 84% of his passes. That's the best he's had all year when you look at raw numbers, but only 171 yards and only eight first downs with all that noise around it. That doesn't help you win football games when you can't pick up first downs and let me tell you the fans are not happy with dan campbell's play calling they have come around to our side of this conversation they were booing the team multiple times throughout the game and it's because campbell made the weird decision to run the ball on x and 20 plus sometimes it was a third and 33 it it's just not working this wasn't what he was hired to do 
So how do you make this work at this point? Do you beg Anthony Lynn to call plays again? Do you say, sorry, we were wrong and do it again for us? Do you, do you go to do Staley, the running back or running back coach? What do you well, do? Well, honestly, Jack, I think really what it takes, it takes a level of professionalism and humility, you know, mm-hmm. all regardless of who fought, whether that's Campbell, Lynn, Daly, any of them, I think right now the humility is what's needed in the room so that they can sort it out and come out with the best approach. Now, because they're in this situation and you now have many games left now because, you know, you're in that last half of the season, right? And how quick, side note, how quick has this season gone by? It, 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 well, it, it's going by even slower for them, though. Oh, I imagine <laughs> for us. But but for the standpoint of making drastic changes, no, what they need to do is really go back together, all of them, in one room. Campbell, Lynn, Daily offense, get in there and hash out, you know, whatever the differences are to come up with the best practical approach for the talent that they have and the scheme that's going to allow them to be efficient, put points on the board to win football games. So it's going to take some humility. It is. It's going to take a lot of humility, but it needs to happen. And yeah. it, it needs to result in Dan Campbell relinquishing that role because we talked about it in the pregame or the pre-show meeting, but did you see that back-to-back timeout penalty? Jerry, yeah. what what in the world has have you ever seen anything like that? The only time you see those type of things is if there's you know really something that a coach isn't aware of, college, high school level, but at the pro level because you know you're able to have the best, the best staff. You can really offload a lot of the responsibilities in the game to the coaches that has to really manage the players and even manage situations you know you're going to have a statistic guy that's on the sideline with you and you're going to have a guy that's going to be sighting the ball that's telling you what down and distance you are every down all teams have that so when you're talking about being able to take all of that information and data and make a decision in what we would call a midstream adjustment you know you know you walking up to the line or you, you're in the huddle and you see them making a personnel change and the guy that's up in the press box, he has to call down to the defensive coordinator, whoever can signal on the field to tell you, hey, look for this guy that just came on the field. We're going to be in this coverage, but watch him. You know, those are the little things that's happening in the game. And imagine if the head coach who's calling the plays is actually – having another conversation over here with another coach about what happened in the last series, but then something happens now, you know, it's just that thing I was saying before. It's no way that you can be everywhere in that game as a head coach. You have to be aware of situations and you're listening in your headphone to the communication that's taking place from your coach, your coordinator, the people in the, in the box, down to the people on the field that's sending in the signals. And then he interacts and interject what he wants when he sees or hears something that 
he don't think is solid. That's when he's still in a rut. And he has Mike where it's tuned in where when he speak, all of them have to, he can like mute them all and talk over them all. Yeah. Only yeah. the coordinators and the head coach have that. <clears throat> so, you know, it's just, you know, one of those things, you know, it's like managing the game. You know, those are some critical things that this is not high school. The game fast pace, you know, and you have, and you and you also coaching against the other best coaches that should be in the world. I'd understand if this was something that happened to say Urban Meyer coming from college to the NFL. Maybe the rules are different and you haven't learned yet. But Dan Campbell's operated as a head coach before. He's worked under some great head coaches with Sean Payton. It's, he's trying to do too much, and we need that humility like Jerry Ball has said. But the one problem we do face Whoever is calling plays going forward may have to deal without the best, the team's best player. DeAndre Swift, he's dealing with that shoulder injury that he suffered against the Pittsburgh Steelers, aggravates it against the Bears, doesn't return. And Campbell's saying he looks better, but you, you can never tell when these coaches talk about injuries. They're, they're, they don't know what's going on with these players' bodies. So, I'm going to ask Jerry, as a player who understands what players go through, is it harder for certain positions to play with, say, a shoulder injury, such as a running back where you're leading with the shoulder or a defensive lineman where it's the pop? Well, I, I would just say any injury to the body is one that has to be looked at in a serious manner, you know. Our bodies are not like cars where we can have a wreck and you replace it. Even when a car is wrecked, it never goes back to its original form. You can fix it. You can polish. You can make it look, you know, like new. But it will never be new and will always be classified as a wrecked car. Same with injuries. The injuries and things that, you know, players, you know, have, you know, from player to player. Some players are a little tougher, can handle more pain. Some players, you know, can't. But more importantly, it's the type of injury, you know, depending on what type of shoulder injury. Is it a rotator cup? Is it a labrum tear? Is it, you know, is it strained? You know, it's BAC just a joint. It's yeah, it's so many different things. And without being specific, you know, which is how he should be responding. You know, the one thing about the NFL, this is this. Here's what the, the backdrop to it is. The NFL requires every player, every team to report all players' injuries. Yeah. And it has, it's not just about, you know, it's part of the risk management. Part of it is to make sure that they're charting the injury just in case a player wants to sue someone for workman's comp. And then you, depending on what state you're in, you might have some reciprocity of being able to go after the other team, depending on what happened, right? Yeah. So you chart them and you, they make it public to everybody in the league. Then there's also the aspect of, you know, how serious an injury is. If, a, if say, for instance, you know, me being, say, an all-pro defensive tackle and we're about to play uh, Tampa Bay during the day when they got Warren Dunn and, Mo and Mike Allstack at running back, <laughs> that that now, must have been a lot of fun. Yeah, well, yeah, I put that hat on both of them too. 
Oh, I but, believe it. But but all of a sudden, on Wednesday after Wednesday's practice, it stated that you know I'm probable for the game. Yeah. Well, now what happens with that is the team knows that I have an injury, so then they start looking at my backup to see who that is, and then the other thing that happens is is that they start focusing on. Now that say let's say ball not gonna be there. Now, whenever they make a switch, let's make sure we attack the middle of the defense. So that gives the team a lot time to plan. So you don't want to tip them that he's not gonna be there, right? Mm. And then on the business side, you know, Vegas is betting the game. So all of the lines shift based on players who gonna play, who's out if the quarter gonna play, running back gonna play. They, they it affects those lines. So even on that and how that's reported, they make sure that they don't create any of those lopsided things where somebody going in and bet ten million dollars, mm-hmm. you know, and then they you know then the line stream. But but more importantly, you know, injuries are are dealt with a lot of different ways. They're communicated a certain way specifically. And then you got to also recognize that once a player's injury and he's seeing the doctor, he's going under HIPAA. Mm-hmm. Very true. So, so it's, you know, it's not just that simple, oh, well, this is what he has. You know, it'll come out what he has. But I would say being a running back with a shoulder injury is hard because when he comes in the hole, he's going to have to dip in what he's – what his weapon while running the ball is his shoulder pad. Mm-hmm. Or form, both of them in the shoulders. <laughs> to stiff form as a shoulder move, and to run through the hole with authority, you got to drop your drop your pads, which is drop your shoulders to get through the hole with a good point of leverage. And then when you start talking about the best receiver in the game, you have, you know who the best receiver in the game is? Who's that, Jerry? Never drop one pass, ever. Catches everything, the ground. <laughs> <laughs> when he hits the ground, he's gonna get caught by that ground, and that ground can be vicious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm I'm going through my head thinking of the stats. It never had a, a oh, <laughs> the ground. The ground. He gonna hit the ground as a running back. He's gonna hit the ground. So that's the other part of it too. So I, I would tell you, being that I have a team that's struggling like this, if we were playoff bound and we were needing him, I'm going to push him. But because of that, hell, I'm not going to use him up the remainder of this year and then have him hobbling all off season, so that whatever we might have a chance to next year, I don't push him back in, in hurting him. Now, I know that's kind of in the same way that I felt about, you know, talking about the draft that, you know, I'm looking down the road and things like it's that same, you know, walk thinking. But when you're talking about an injury and you're talking about a guy like Swift that, you know, you can really build your program around. Do you rush him back? Do you let him heal? You know, so those are just, you know, some business decisions. But if I was me, them, I would be speaking, you know, long term. I'd be like, hey, look, what we're looking for is to get the best out of 
uh, DeAndre, and we're going to do what's best for him so that he have a long and prosperous career here. If he's ready to go, he's going to be in there. That's how. That's the thing, and l- let's compare it to this. You've talked about your Mercedes in the the past, your inheritance, and if that check engine com- light comes on, you you could you could hypothetically keep driving it and just yep. you know you, you can get away with that, but it matters mm-hmm. to you. Yep. Shouldn't you just get it to the shop as soon as possible and take care of it the best way you can? Shouldn't yep. the Lions take care of DeAndre Swift the best way that they can? I, I think that they should. You know, the thing that, you know, kind of really brings a question to how Campbell is going to handle it since he's in this, you know, helter skelter type mode right now where he's reaching for everything. One of the best things he had going for him was Swift. So you take that away from him. Now he has to create another, you know, aspect of having a shining light because, you know, everything else, you know, kind of under the light of how they've been losing kind of makes everything kind of look cloudy or gloomy. DeAndre getting hurt is definitely not a good thing for him. You know, I anyway. <laughs> It, it's it's never a good thing when your star player goes down, but that's the reality of the NFL. It's next man up, even if that man is replacing someone as talented, as dominant as DeAndre Swift. And without him, the Lions led for the entire fourth quarter up until that final play, that field goal. And the Lions have now lost to the Baltimore Ravens the Minnesota Vikings and the Chicago bears on last second field goals also tied the Pittsburgh Steelers on a last second field goal to send it to overtime. And it's frustrating because I know we're close, but close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, Jerry. There's, there's only so many moral victories I can take. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the one thing about it and stuff is that, you know, we have no control over it. And, you know, we're probably going to have to eat some peanut butter without jelly on it. And it just be thick with a loss. <laughs> Ag- that- is it the agony of defeat is like to is like chewing peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> Some chunky peanut butter. That's yeah, yeah. Just something ain't right about it. You know, it's it's sticking to the roof of your mouth, and this loss will stick to the roof of my mouth and stick with me for a while. But we do have to talk about J and J, Jack and Jerry, the PB and J play of the day, because that's the only thing that goes together. Like Jack and Jerry is peanut butter and jelly. So what play are you going with here, Jerry? Uh, the same guy straight straight to heaven. Same guy. He's injured. But as of yet, you know, I, I could give it to Reynolds because of the simple fact that he showed up unexpected, you know. But in the spirit of what's been consistent for the team, I think DeAndre is our guy. Hmm. He he's always going to be our guy, isn't he, Jerry? He he's definitely my top back right now for the Detroit Lions. Ain't no question. 
So what have you what have you got there for Mr. Swift? Is there uh, something that you've been well, uh, saving? Yeah, I, I think Mr. Swift is ready for what's called it's by Mont Blanc called Legend Spirit. Ooh. It's a nice, you know, fragrance and stuff. It's a pretty Real light. Yeah, yeah. It's what's in the bottle that's good. And I think that's what makes DeAndre on the road to being a legend. It's what's on the inside. He runs with a lot of heart. But we Ooh. definitely think that he's going to be a guy that moves into legend stat- status if he can stay healthy and get him some years with the Lions. Oh, you, you know, Jerry, when – when I'm all upset and I've got all this doom and gloom, you, you pull me out of that and remind me that there's always a brighter future. And, you, you know, if you're looking for some Christmas gifts, maybe you pair some of that legend fragrance with some light box diamonds. We've got a new sponsor here on Believe in Lions. So say goodbye to dull gifts. Light box lab grown diamonds are the brightest gift of the year. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, they've cracked the science of sparkle. They're creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds you can find at a light price of $800 per carat. They have the same chemical makeup of natural diamonds, but are just grown in a lab. So because of their process, they can create stones in pink blush, in beautiful blue, as well as classic white. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off, priced so they won't have to. They really do make any outfit sparkle. So visit lightboxjewelry.com to add sparkle to your holiday shopping. That's lightboxjewelry.com. Lightbox diamonds, never a dull moment. And... As frustrating as this game got at times, there was never a dull moment with Troy Aikman on commentary because I noticed he sounds a little bitter, Jerry. He started talking about uh, losing to the Lions in that 91 playoff game, and you can hear the emotion in his voice that he's still upset about it, Jerry. How how do you take that? Well, actually, um, I was with Troy maybe a couple weeks ago up at SMU, we both were at SMU football game. Okay. I was Dallas, the weekend I went to Dallas and he was there as well. He actually lives in Island Park, which is the community that SMU sits in. So we, we've been chums and things like that, but that's not surprising because that year we thumped them in the regular season too. So it wasn't just the playoffs. We got them in the regular season and we got them in the playoffs. Now, you see, that that was the actual pivotal point where the Lions were actually ahead of the Cowboys in terms of winning the championship. Mm-hmm. If we make two to three moves to get a cornerback, and some people say quarterback, but I feel we could have, with Rodney Pete, we could have still competed. Mm-hmm. But, or even near Kramer, but we wasn't going to beat you with the past. We were going to have to play solid defense, and we were going to have to – and Barry, Herman, those of, guys. Of, of course, those, those They were going to have to put points on the board. Yeah. So, Lomas but, but Brad had, would have had to move some people 
for Bam. Zach Bowman, Kevin Glover, Eric Andersack, Mike Utley. Man, listen, we had a hell of an offensive line. I'm not going to bullshit you. That was a good offensive line. Yes, they were. And so, so, so being able to thump the Cowboys in 91 convincingly like we did, you know, you would have never ever told us that we would have went to the basement and they would have went, you know, to heaven because mm-hmm. they ended up rolling out three championships and we were the ones that actually thumped them to get them in line, you know? So that was something that, you know, I would say was one of the pivotal times for the Lions. That's when the Lions was close. We were close. And and, and you could measure it. You could measure it against the other teams. Because greatest, we had greatest you know? team in Lions history, perhaps. Well, I don't know if it's the greatest team, but I know it's definitely one of the uh best. And and what's and the irony of that, if I'm not mistaken, the Lions haven't won a playoff game since then. And I wish I could tell you you were mistaken. I truly wish I could, but they you're not. They have not won a playoff game since Jerry Ball won it for them. Oh, don't don't say that. They already blame me for Reggie White not coming. <laughs> <laughs> really? They 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 think it's your fault Reggie White didn't come? Oh yeah. I got to hear this story. Oh, man. Well, during the time, you know, of course, Reggie and I, you know, being that we were pro bowlers, you know, we became friends. But we also became friends in our faith walk. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there was just a lot of things that Reggie and I had gotten close, you know, from the standpoint of – I remember when Reggie came to me, we were in Dallas, Texas at a Christian retreat, and it was for what was called Cause. Um, Keith, uh, Miles Monroe, Chris Carter, Curtis Martin, Dion, Mike Irvin, myself. I mean, it's just a whole bunch of guys that are, you could say, stellar athletes in the NFL that are all Christians, and we have this one retreat. So we're in the pool one day after he say, man, ball, I used to think you was crazy, man. I'm like, what you talking about? He said, man, I remember when we was doing the settlement and used to tell me, don't sign that, Reggie. Don't sign it. Don't sign it. He said, man, I didn't understand until after I signed it, you know, and I found out, you know, some of the things that was underhanded in that deal. And, and I'll tell this story another time. You know, I, I am the player that found through a federal deposition that um, one of the owners had negotiated with our union to pay $100 million under the table. Really? And, and I found, yeah, and I, and I found that document. But I'm not going to even go down that road. I'm going to just kind of stay with Reggie. So... So with Reggie, you know, Reggie, you know, name is on the collective bargaining agreement of 1993, which is the same system that they have now. They've made some modifications, made some increases and all that. But Reggie's name will always be synonymous with this deal, which is 1993, the Reggie White settlement. Okay, so because we were close and because we would 
you know, talk during the season, he could also see, you know, what's going on in Detroit. And he had, there was a guy on our team by the name of Willie Green. Mm -hmm. And Willie Green and Reggie had the same agent. His name was Sexton. And in some way, Sexton made a comment to one of the line's people in management, and they figured that the reason that Reggie chose not to come is because of his talking or his relationship with me. But that's not true. Mm-hmm. You know, Reggie was actually making his decision in the spirit. He okay. didn't like, see, a, a person that is in a faith walk, understand the person that will use discernment to make a decision based on how their spirit tells them. Mm-hmm. So it might be, you know, one of those things where you say, oh man, I would have went to the Raiders, man. They had all these players, but in his spirit, he didn't feel the Raiders. He didn't feel the lines. He felt Green Bay was where he was supposed to be. And that's what it turned out. That's- turned out pretty good too. Well, it turned out to be the story that he wanted, you know? So in that, it, it just was, and during that same time, you know, that's during the time when I was forcing them to trade me. And uh, and they couldn't sign Reggie. They had to trade me. So they went and they brought in Pat Swilling. That was, you know, to make people feel, oh, well, you know, we gave up Jerry Ball, but we got Pat Swilling. And Pat Swilling was a great player, but Pat Swilling was the weakest player out of all of the four top line linebackers on the Saints team. And mm-hmm. here's what I mean. You got Ricky Jackson, who's a Hall of Famer, who's on the other defensive end. You got Vaughn, who's the inside, and you got Sam Mills, who's inside, and you got Pat Swilling on the other side. And Mills is up for the Hall of Fame this year again. Exactly. So those guys are the ones that's actually getting all of the attention. Pat is getting the one-on-one blocks. So he should make the tackles. He he should get the sack because he's the only one getting blocked one-on-one. And the defenses are more worried about Ricky Jackson, Vaughn, Sam Mills than they are Pat Swilling. And Pat ended up being NFL Defensive Player of the Year. But that was mostly because of sacks. But if you go back and look through the films, and Pat, you know I love you, I ain't hating, but they have what's called cover sacks. Yep. Or a sack where, let's say, for instance, if Ricky Jackson had knocked the offensive tackle into the quarterback and the quarterback falls down, it doesn't matter who made that happen. Whoever touches him gets the sack credit. Yeah. So let's say one guy knock him down and then the other guy get what we call a scrub sack. That's where the guy's on the ground and because you was the first one to get over there and touch him, you get the credit for the sack. But you didn't create it. There were a lot of... But anyway, so that was their, I guess, way of making the Lions fans feel that they had tried to make a move to replace me, mm. you know. But in all in all, you know how that go. You know, you didn't replace the position. Yeah. You know, I was a nose guard. He's a defensive tackle. You, and that was more. And, and and you see, that's a lot of the problems that I see with the lines is that 
in their perspective, you take like the owner, she'll say that we want to be transparent with the fans, right? Mm -hmm. But they're not transparent with the players. You want to hear what the fans say, but you don't want to hear what your players say. Yeah. All right. You want to appease them to make them stay in support, but you don't want to work with the people that is actually going to give you the results that would change that tide with them because they don't look at the players being a part of the critical input. Okay. But the player is the critical process. The player is the content. The player is the reason that they're there. And based on what the player does, defines the success. So why not use the players to, to recruit? This is was Aaron Rodgers' whole whole criti- critique was humility. 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 That's what it comes down to, man. Every time. Right now, it's just like. The line organization has so much pride in the way that they will make a decision. They'll make a decision not to do something because they don't want to look a certain way versus make a decision because it's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. Now, they say that they're doing that, but they're not because in each one of those decisions, that was a decision that you made because of what's outside that you brought into the decision making process. And that's one of the things that I think until, you know, they really, really just do some soul searching. And and, and I'll tell you just, again, the atonement, until they go get right with, you know, the Calvin Johnsons and even Barry, even though Barry's in their graces, I don't feel I don't feel that they've actually earned the right for Barry to even be a part of them, mm-hmm. you know. But that's Barry that wants to be a part, just like other players wants to be a part. But no player wants to be shitted on. Yeah. Okay. But I would say that if if the Lions could show enough humility to go talk, not just to the guys that have the names. Go to talk to the guys that you just see his face, but you don't know his name and ask him, how can things be better? And you will hear from the Lord's guy on the totem pole some of the things that need that he see that could have made a difference. Because it's, it, the only guys like myself or the other all pros or pro bowlers or key players on the team. Yeah, we become the talking head because we the only ones might have enough security that we can say some things, but you think they want us saying it? No. But if someone's telling you, hey, man, we want to win a championship, and I'm saying, well, damn, I want to win one too. And they say, well, what what you think it's going to take? Humility? I will tell you that that suggestion that would have came from me about humility would not be considered because it came from me. That's how prideful they are. And to go as far as well we didn't land uh, Reggie White it, it, it must be that Jerry Ball's fault oh that dras- dastardly Jerry Ball cost us that's well, not how you know, reality works well they call me the locker room lawyer right 
Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a football player, but I'm being, you know, characterized or my character is one of saying I'm, you know, a locker room lawyer. It's not that I'm a locker room lawyer. It's that the players elected me to be the player rep to enforce the union rules on what they could and could not do. And I did my job. (laughs) I did what players elected me to do. And they elected me every year. (laughs) It's not a So that's that's what they didn't like, you know? And all I did was the job, shit, bottom line. It's not a fluke when the players, your constituents, the people you are serving, elect you over and over again. You are clearly yeah. doing something right. Maybe listen to the man once in a while. I, I bet the Cowboys well, were listening to Aikman. Well, well, be believe it or not, though, it's not really a matter of them listening to me as much as it is I'm relaying the message from your team mm-hmm. that they want that these guys won't tell you because they're afraid to lose their job. So I'm going to help you understand what's going on, not what's going on with the players that you think you that's got a wire into the locker room, because those players might only have a certain group in the locker room. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the whole team, you know, you need someone that can be able to take the bullshit, put it to the side, and then be able to bring things to the table that benefits the whole team. And that's kind of what I was doing. And like I said, Wayne Fonts created a committee, and I was a committee member. Every, every position had a member, and that's how we made decisions. So when, they, when we would come together as a committee, we'll talk, make the vote, then that's what we all went with, and it didn't matter. If I liked it or didn't like it or supported it or not, if I got outvoted by the committee, that's the team talking. Mm-hmm. You see, and that's the thing that they didn't like. I was the mouthpiece for the team. <laughs> you know, but then at the same time, I was also making sure that I was going to get paid for the job that I was doing because you giving somebody else all the credit, but I'm doing the heavy lifting. So I want my check. And not only I want my check, but since since I'm fighting two or three other people, I want to get paid what I should get paid. Now, not just for that one job, but this other job I'm doing, too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hey, it it, it was logical. It was practical. And guess what? And every time I held out, we came to an agreement. We came to an agreement. Me and Mr. Ford came to an agreement. First time I was truly underpaid. The second time Chuck Smith told me that if I went to the Pro Bowl, that he was going to tear that deal up and redo it. And I went to the Pro Bowl that year and I held him to that word. Mm -hmm. Held him to it. And that's part of why management stops liking you. You democratize the locker room and not what you deserve. Well, here's the thing, Jack. You got to understand how things are in management, right? You have people that are responsible that would have to answer for things, say, I might say, like the general manager or the head coach. But there are other people in the administration that that love Jerry, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because they they see and understand. They've been there long enough. 
And, you know, to, to be with an organization, you know, you got you had guys that was with the organization for so long that their job was not about really football. It was about trying to keep the lid on this camp until we can get to the next season. Mm. So just one of those things. Now, those people. You know, you can you can tell who they are. You would know who they are because they wasn't being helpful to anybody, but what they were trying to do. But then they had great guys like a Bill Keenis, you know, who's the vice president, Danny J, you know, who's the equipment guy, uh, Otis Canty, you know, solid, you know, some of the secretaries that was around there that, you know, kind of managed the messages for the players and stuff. Those are quality grade A people. I mean, it was some great people. And it's still great people there with the Lions organization. I think the biggest disconnect is that the upper management need to really understand, you know, the humanity aspects of emotion and that their decisions, you know, affect people's lives in every sense. And I know they understand it, but it's kind of like one of those things when Ford does a layoff. You all right? <laughs> We're doing it for the good of the company. Okay, we get it. All right? But the Detroit Lions don't have that same type of infrastructure but in some sentiments of the emotion, you know, every person is a human, whether or not they're working at Ford or whether or not they're playing ball. So let's deal with the human element. And I can tell you the lines more or less deal with a number, with the numbers. Mm -hmm. And I ain't saying that you don't know every player, but I will tell you that you can make every player feel special, if you, even if you don't say one word to them. Why? Because the acknowledgement. I could tell you one of the greatest thrills that me and my family would have was every year when Mr. Ford family would send us a Christmas card. Aww. Because, oh man, the, the cards would be so intricate, you know, and every year it had a different thing. And when you opened it up, it had something to it. But more importantly, it was. It was one of those things that I can tell you that made us feel connected to them. Mm -hmm. Not the Lions, to the Fords, you yeah. know, because you're putting that on your tree. You know, they send you an ornament, you put it on your tree and things like, you know, those things that meant the world. Now, that might have cost them shit. $20 a card, right? Mm-hmm. Got 55 players, but I promise you that was worth a million dollars in goodwill. Yeah. Promise. It's you all, know? it's, it's too much of the top down approach instead of the, the interpersonal connection and understanding of each other. And like you said, you had the, the committee democratize the locker room and it becomes a bottom up approach where, Hey, we, yeah we're all headed in the same direction. I That's understand right. you. You understand me. Let's go to war. And, and, and you know, Jack, and what's crazy about that is that that committee had to be formed because of how divided the way management had our locker room. There were players that were management favorites. Mm -hmm. And then there were players that, you know, management just didn't, wasn't fond of, you know? 
too and outspoken, was, too too whatever. Well, it's not. It's not honestly. It, the quiet guy didn't get the respect. So if they ain't gonna respect you, they ain't gonna respect you. That's the issue. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, I put it to you like this, okay? And you know, this this is the truth. But you see, the forge would never grasp this, right? To know that this is the type of treatment that takes place where you're paying people millions of dollars and your people are handling them in, to me, a very disrespectful way to the point that I made sure that person never came in the locker room again and handed out checks. The guy would come down on payday. And with the lines, we got paid every week. So he come down on Monday, he hand one guy's check, hand this guy's check, and then he'll throw another guy his. We watched that about a couple of times, and then we start recognizing that he handing the white brothers, they check, and he throwing the, the brothers, they check. But he really? handed them there. Yeah. That's wow. a fact. Wow. Yeah, to the point that, you know, I walked over to him after we peeped what he was doing. I walked over to him and I poked him with my thumb in his side. And I told him, I said, listen here, man, if you throw another check to another man in this room, we're going to bounce your ass out of here physically. He runs back up there and tell him that, you know, I made a threat. I told him what was going on. They removed him. And they had the other guy, Otis Canty, come down for the rest of the time I was there and hand checks to guys. Now, just imagine what I just said. That's that little undercurrent of shit that we had to deal with. And while when I'm telling the lines, I got to work with them. You know, I know that I'm not going to tolerate that shit. And that's the okay? subtle things in public. You, it, that, it, you start wondering what's happening overtly in private. Exactly. And, and and but the Fords would never know that. But then they'll see my response because I didn't react. Mm -hmm. They'll see my response and they upset with me because of my response of something that was created by the people you hired. Mm -hmm. And because now I'm telling you and everybody else publicly, hey, that this organization isn't being above board. You're looking at me now. Well, hell, these people want a championship. This is why we can't get a championship. You know, because we can't get the players in here. And the ones that we get here, we won't keep and treat right. And then we'll go pay all this money for somebody. And then we won't even treat the guys that was drafted by the Lions right. Because once you're drafted, they own your right. They don't have to make no overtures to you. That's with the league but anyway it's such a painful cycle that we keep seeing over and over again well let me ask you this and <laughs> I don't want to I'm not going to go there because I was going to go at it from a biblical standpoint but I'll, no, I'll just however you want to phrase it I, I'm no more no, no no because you know everyone isn't a believer and I respect that you know one thing that I learned I had a guy that was actually called the Swamiji which is like a monk in India he's got the largest temple in India came to me about working with what's called the um 
Project for Equality. And okay. they was building a statue called the Statue Equality. And he said one thing to me. He told me, he said, Jerry, I want you to help me bring this to the West, but I don't want you to go to any people of the faith. And that just threw me because he's a man of the faith. Mm -hmm. He said, the reason why, Jerry, is because even an atheist can be a good person. And we can draw a line because of our beliefs that don't involve and bring someone in and treat them equal. He said, so don't go to the faith. I want you just to go deal with people. So I understood that. And I understood that from the same perspective of what I'm talking about, that if we could get them to see the humanity in their players, then they will understand the cultural differences. Then they'll understand why those things aren't suitable in today's modern time. Okay. Now, we all are reflections of the people that we've been around. So we learn things and we learn to either react to them or respond to them. Now, because I'm an African-American being raised, that has been raised here in the United States of America in the South, there are some things that I'm sensitive to. Mm -hmm. Okay. That when I come to the North, you know, you don't see it because the racism is subtle. It's a different sophistication in the way that it is. Down here in the South, it's a clear line. Mm. I'm over here, you over there. Or don't go over on that side of town, or don't be in that little town after dark. It, that's what I grew up in. That is my cultural experience. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to unlearn that when I'm eight, nine years old, and my grandfather and the men in the neighborhood are getting the shotguns ready. So because the KKK has said that they're going to ride on our community because the man and another guy had a fight on the job, and now it's going to spill over into the neighborhood, and I see that at that age, you think I forget that? No. Or when I'm in the eighth grade, and we're going from Beaumont, Texas to go play this, this middle school in what's called Orange, Texas. And we got to go through Vida, Texas, and the bus break down. And we had a gas station. And the guy that owned the gas station came to us and told us that one person could get off, no one else. And then his son, who was our age, came out with a shotgun and sat on the sidewalk. Wow. All right. So my great-grandfather was alive. He was 113 years old when he died. 113. When I was a senior, every Saturday, in order for me to use the car, I had to wash the car. And I would go pick up my great-grandfather and take him riding with us, me and my friends, so that we could use the car and get him out. And one of the things that he told me, and my aunt told me a story of an incident that happened, and the only thing he asked me, say, son, all I ask, no matter what you do, when it comes time to stand up, you just make sure you stand up. Okay? That was told to me as a boy. I'm a man. I've been standing ever since. Okay, so when the Lions drafted me, this is what they drafted. 
Okay, now culturally, I also know how to box it. Then I went on to the one of the most pre prestigious private universities called Southern University, Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas, where you talking about rarefied atmosphere and you talking about the ultra rich of the one percent. The richest neighborhood in Texas is where our university sits, right? You got Jerry Jones that lives in these neighborhoods, Ross Perot. Matter of fact, it's about nine, 10 billionaires that live in this little community that might be a four square mile. Okay, that's yeah. where I went through. So when you talk about ultra conservative and then you coming from that type of background, and now you having to go into the most competitive, ultra conservative, well-to-do, wealthiest, rarefied atmosphere, and you have to perform because even there, they don't want you there. And I got the education. <laughs> I remember one time when I was in class, and see, a lot of people don't get this part of it. I'm in class, and they don't know that my Aunt Mary was my English teacher, and she made me learn how to write. All right? So I'm in English and we're in this composition class and I write my, my paper, I turn it in. Next class, the professor asked me to stay after class and asked me if I wrote that. Really? And he gave me a thing and asked me to write it on the spot. And I had to sit right there and write it on the spot because he didn't think I had the language, the penmanship, none of that. Asked you yeah. to prove it right prove it. on the spot because. Right. So do I forget that? Do I tell my children to those experience that you don't let that type of ignorance stop you from being who you are? And because someone sees you in the way that they see you does not define who you are. Only you can define that. And only you will answer to any of that nonsense. I don't answer to none of it, but I make sure I stand like my great grandfather asked me to. I do that. And just how much further could everyone get listening to that message and being willing to humble themselves, listen to what you have to say and realize that under just listen to your experiences and to understand and try and take something from it. It's just, well, here's why it's important. My story is my story, but there's another man that has his own burden that he's had to carry. And it might not be in the same way. It might not be, you know, an African-American issue. You know, he could be a Native American. He could be a Hispanic. He could be an Asian, you know. But when you're coming together to form a team because you are bringing people from all walks of life, what everyone says is important. Absolutely. And you can't force your belief system and your value system on someone that you're telling them, trust you, but then you have a guy that would come down here and treat us like that. Mm -hmm. Trust you. But when it comes time to make a decision that's for the benefit of me or anyone like me, you choose not to. Trust you. When we call and ask for support of our charities, they tell us no. 
but then they turn back around and go out and raise money using the very player saying, we'll get players to show up. And then they'll come and pay us $100, $250, and they then got a check for about $25,000 to $30,000. And they pimping us like that. And I'm telling you exactly how it is. Now, guys are talking amongst each other because they understand what they're doing. And we're saying we have no problem in supporting the charities, the Lions charities and the things you guys want us to do. We want you to support ours, though. It's, you a, know? Human, it's a human issue, like you said. It's all about humanity. I'm they happy. just get caught up in the color because it's a black man telling them what they don't want to hear. And sometimes people have a problem with that, especially, you know, when you, you're a big man, all right, all right, and then you got a little baritone in your voice, and then you got a little intellect, you're smarter than the average bear, and good chance I might be able to beat your ass if you beat <laughs> <hit> me physically. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. People, th- you're you're gonna beat them down mentally, physically, and people are intimidated no. by that. But... Well, they they get intimidated, but what I'm saying is, is that you know, one, they don't even expect me to have a level of communication skill that would allow them to exchange valuable information with me. Yeah, it's because they're not expecting it. You know, <laughs> they're not expecting. It, you know, and that's why. We know it's kind of like when you're in a situation and you know you can make it better and you then try to offer it, offer it, offer it, offer it, and eventually you recognize they don't want it because it's coming from you. Then you start sending it through another person and then that person walks it in and then, oh, yeah, let's do this. And you don't, they don't even understand that it was your idea. It was your deal. You just let him go tell it so we can get it done and get past your bullshit. <laughs> That's how them. <laughs> That's how we would move past them. You know, like, man, we ain't nobody in here trying to get credit. Motherfuckers in here trying to win a championship. Excuse my excuse my language, everyone. I didn't mean to say that. YouTube, don't get us off YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they'll be fine. I'm sure they'll understand. Yeah, but, you know, so, anyway, it, it, it's, and then, you know, we're human. We're competitors. We're competing for ourselves first. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then the team and the fans become our rallying cry. Okay. But that mental capacity of what we have to do as players on the front end is the most important part. And you don't want to be out, be out on the field sacrificing your body, your health, and your future for someone that don't give a shit about you. For someone that's gonna walk in and toss you the check and hey, well, but but that's any team. That's just not the lines. Any team, any team. You don't want to be on a team that don't appreciate you or have the ability of having or showing humility. Humility, you know? humanity, and when Jerry Ball stands up for what's right and for the, stands up for the locker room and you respond with discouragement and disappointment, that's just unacceptable. It's. Yeah. Well, I, I've already 
prayed my prayer for the Lions organization. And, you know, I know God hears my prayers. So I don't have to pray again. But I will say that just like with anything, it's the work in the earth that matters. It tells a man that you will know his seed by his fruit. So if you was to take the lines and put it in that same alignment, how does the line fruit look that tells you what kind of seed they've been planting? Goosebumps. And you're a better man than I, Jerry. You're, you're continuing to believe in that, believe that the, the atonement is coming and, your patience and understanding in that and your your personal humility in the whole situation is admirable, just very admirable. Well, you know, really what it is, you know, I had to learn discretion because when I was young, I was, you know, very straightforward and I call it like it is, right? Learn some discretion, right? But more importantly, you know, when you get a certain age and stuff and you're, you're in your internal you know, I guess you say assessment, you're trying to figure out what you want to do with your life, you know, when you got choices or what is it you're meant to do, right? The one thing that I knew is that I could play football, but I never looked at football as being my ultimate thing to do on this earth during the time that I'm here. So I look at this as an assignment, all right? So my day is challenged every day to just stay on assignment. And that's to make, take my goodwill and help others with goodwill and see how we can make the community better, showing compassion, service, and humanity in everything that we do. And color don't come into it. Now, I'm a proud African-American Black man in the United States of America, so I am pro-Black. You know, and what that means is that I love my people, I love my family, I love my culture, you know, I love who we are. But that doesn't mean that I hate anybody. That doesn't mean that I don't have respect for any differences. We could have differences, different races. Hell, we got differences within our own race. So it's not about the differences. It's about the respect and the humility enough to listen to a man, to understand if the reason he believes that way is because of a trauma or an experience that happened that was a life lesson, not an ideology, not a philosophy, not the idea of this guy experienced that, so he's going to respond to it a certain way. And that's where, you know, part of the psychology, you know, of understanding the athlete, the players who you bring in, who fit your organization and all that, that goes into how players are decided and drafted too. But I think, you know, at this point, you know, for me and my, my family, you know, we're about, you know, humanity and service. That's what we talk about. And I think we can all take a page out of your book in terms of the humanity and service and working towards a uh, just a more goodness in the world because the light that Jerry Ball brings to the world, to this podcast, and to the city of Detroit, to the state of Texas, to everywhere he touches is truly something to aspire yeah. to be. I appreciate it.
I wasn't looking for no kudos, but I definitely appreciate it. Oh, well, I, I appreciate all that you've shared shared tonight with me, and uh, I've certainly learned a lot through it. And can just enjoy getting to talk to you and continue learning from one of the smartest and best and best looking oh, players to ever do it. Oh man, don't call me smart. Hey, don't call me smart. I pray don't call me smart because <laughs> they might stop talking to me, man. That that head's going to get a little bit uh, bigger. Won't be able to fit in those helmets you got there. Well, they don't fit anymore anyway, to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, face mask off. <laughs> uh, as always, just an absolute pleasure getting to talk to you, Jerry. And uh, any final thoughts and anything you want to want to go into right before we head out here? Well, just the only thing is, is that, listen, you know, regardless of what I've ever said, I have a good heart. I, and like I've said before, and it's not something that I can erase. I love the lines. I love them, you know, but just like with anything, uh, a parent loves their kid, but they correct them. All right. And all I'm saying is that, you know, I'm a lion. There are some things and in input that I'm sure if they talk to people, that's not going to be trying to kiss their butt and give them the answer they want to hear. They'll hear what I'm saying because I'm repeating what's being told to me so that, you know, they can get the message. But I think that one, I think the new owner, I do believe she wants to win because I know her mom, when her mom took over, she made a difference. It actually made the Lions players and retired players feel like, wow, she's getting done some stuff that, man, I wish we would have had when we were there. That, that's what guys were saying. So I'm sure the mom, Mrs. Ford, has looked at putting it in good hands of someone that had the same type of mindset. So I just wish him the best. And I wish all the Lion fans happy holidays. We're about to start the good month of December. My birthday is on December 15th. You know, I'll be 57 years old, even though I know I look 22. And I'm going to say I'm 23 just so that the Lions might offer me a contract. Uh, if the Lions want to sign you to a contract, I will be more than happy watching that beautiful 93 tear through the middle of the defense. Yeah, I tell you what, Jack, if they going to sign me, then we damn sure going to sign you at quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Jerry. I don't know if you've seen my arm. It might, uh, might yeah, not. Yeah, and I don't know if you've seen my walk. <laughs> <laughs> But happy holidays, man, to everybody. And again, it's always good. Happy holidays to all our Detroit Lions fans. Enjoy the month of December. And remember, we do love the Lions. We believe in the Lions. And just like everything else in your life, you can push the ones you love to do better, to be better. And that's what we're here to do. And I'm here to stand with you as we do that here on the Believe in Lions podcast brought to you by betonline.ag. So with that, Jerry, are you ready to break it down? One, two, three. We We believe. believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. I love the Lions. Say it with me. I love the Lions.
Dragons. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.